Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us, and welcome to the Classic Series Redrive. Check them up. Let's get started. We would like to welcome everybody into episode 65 of the Redrive podcast. Kyle Forsyth from Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Mark Hostetler from Michigan. And Logan Reinhold on the soundboard at the Logan Reinhold Tack and Western Wear Studio. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing good. You? You uh, soaking up the sun a little bit on a little vacay or what's going on? Yeah, we, uh, kids are on spring break and kind of a last minute deal. We decided to uh, book a little vacation and get away for four or five days before we get hot and heavy showing horses again. Nice. Good weather so far. Yeah, it's been great. A little bit of, uh, just a little rain shower yesterday, but uh, yeah, 85 and sunny every day, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it's, it's been good. Kind of nice just to relax and spend some time with the kids and, Get some sun and yep, our the weather in Michigan that warmed up real good. Yeah, real good. We've um, had a very nice stretch here the last five six days. It's get a little warmer every day. Unfortunately, it looks like the weekend's going to come and asking for some colder weather. But you'll have that in spring. But yeah, it gets uh, gets the spring fever going and gets you thinking about you know driving some horses and going to some horse shows and and uh, speaking of that. We just kind of a little bit of a reminder here to get May 15th is the deadline to uh, for shows to get registered um, for the summer show circuit. There's some coming in, but there's still quite a few, quite a few that haven't uh, got registered yet. So if you could please get your entries in and uh, get, get, get registered as well as, you know, uh, exhibitors as well, instead of waiting until you know, 10 minutes before the class. And then Brenda's got to go back through and our secretary and, you know, check on everything and, you know, who's a member, who's not a member. And it makes it easier for the shows as well. So if everybody just please get a friendly reminder to get everybody registered exhibitors, um, you know, and, and the Halder horses as well. If you have any interest in signing up any of the Halder horses, make sure you get those in there as well here in the relatively near future, because um, the, uh, the um, Wilmington show uh, between the stars and stripes there in Wilmington, Ohio will be the first um, halter point show. So uh, halter entries need to be done, put in 30 days prior. So that's coming up here in the next three, four weeks that you're going to have to get your entries in uh, to be a part of the halter division. We've had quite a few signed up, um, but I, I do know there's interest in more. So if people could just get online and get those signed in before last second just makes Brenda's job just a little bit easier on the secretary part of things. Yeah, especially with the shows too. It's important the uh, people are doing their show schedules and um, yeah, I think it's important to to have that information up on the website for people to decide what shows they're going to and get better turnout yeah. at your show. Yeah, Brian Yoder from Summit Professional Services there he called the other day and um, they had a couple calls to the office and emails about where they can, they just put a little bit of footage of the draft horse show on their Instagram page. And people were wondering where they could find these events to go to. And, you know, I told them and then I went online and looked and there was just not a lot of shows on there yet. And uh, so the interest is out there. The interest is real on spectators coming and 
Um, I think it would benefit every show to get it on there just as soon as they possibly can. Mark, you were in Madison sale last week. Yeah, I went up to Madison to the sale there. They had a very good consignment. Um, you know, just strong market again, just all the way through. It seemed like, um, top, you know, the top horse was 60, you know, 62 or 65,000 on a, on a percher mare that, uh, went to express ranches, a really nice moving mare and uh lead, lead horse type type of horse and pretty fancy. And then a Belgian mare brought 45,000 and, uh, that was purchased by TLA ranch in Laporte, Indiana. They're the Welsh family. So, but overall, I mean, brood, mare, you know, Aged mares sold well, young young colts sold well, and the overall market just seemed to keep pretty steady as it has been all spring. Yep. Yes, sir. This is uh, probably one of the most impressive episodes I think we've done. Um, I think we've mentioned a couple legends and and one in the making maybe on the auction block. Uh, just a super episode. Yeah, this is great. Speaking of auctions, we do have a few coming up. Uh, the Dover sale, um, the Buckeye Draft Horse and Colt sale in Dover, Ohio, is coming up next week. And then also the end of the month, of course, is the the big Clyde sale in Springfield. So uh, just a reminder, we're talking about auctioneers here. But yeah, Kyle, you talk about legends. I mean, th- this is a this was a great time sitting down with these three gentlemen. We uh, sat down with Steve Andrews. Uh, Lyle Chupp and Jaron Miller um, get a perspective from the auction block side of things. Yeah, just a lot of knowledge there. A lot of, a lot of cool stories. I think Lyle, he was concerned. There's one pretty good one on here. Uh, hope everybody catches it. It's a, it's a, it's a good one. He thought maybe Logan might have to edit it out. And we said, heck no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's just not about selling draft horses about you know everything in general but just a quick note here um before we we let you guys listen to this great episode um steve andrews you know obviously very well known um just just a legend and just a treat to talk to every time you do but he he um emailed us after the ne- the next morning after we we did this and he just this is, I'll just read the email to you guys uh, for everybody to listen to here. Uh, Steve says, thanks for the invite to the podcast. It was fun for me. Like I always, I think of things I wish I would have said after it's all over. I missed the opportunity to tell Lyle and Jaron just how proud I was of both of them for the auctioneers and men they have become. I may call them today and tell them that. They said so many kind things about me and I didn't take the opportunity to replicate with what I have felt for a long time. Thanks again, Steve. So we just wanted to get that out there. Um, he didn't get it said on the podcast, and we thought it was pretty heartfelt by Steve to email us and tell us that. And uh, so we just wanted everybody to hear that as well before before we start listening. You bet. Enjoy episode sixty-five. The Smith family has been in the meat snack business since nineteen seventy-five. There are now four generations of Smiths working with Glenwood Snacks. Glenwood Beef Jerky is made with solid pieces of 100% premium beef and smoked with real wood smoke. Their jerky is in high protein, low in calories, and darn good to eat. Also, look out for new lines of meat sticks. Look for the Double S Belgians, the equine ambassadors of Glenwood Beef Jerky, at a show near you. 
browse our many flavors of 100% beef jerky, signature meat sticks, and snack bundles at glenwoodsnacks.com. Follow on Facebook, Instagram, or by calling 208-624-9851. Orders over $50 ship for free. Glenwood Snacks. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the uh, Classic Series Redrive. Um, Mark Hostetler here in uh, the Reinhold Tech and Western Wear Studios with Logan Reinhold on the soundboard and um, Kyle Forsythe joining us from Menon, Idaho as well today. Uh, We are excited to bring you three people that we have often heard and seen in the auction industry. We have um, joining us here in studio, Jaron Miller and Lyle Chupp, and also joining us via Zoom uh, in Worcester, Ohio, Mr. Steve Andrews as well. So we're going to be going through and kind of getting an auctioneer's perspective and uh, visiting with these gentlemen. And uh, why don't we just go through and introduce everybody, uh, kind of where you're from and a little bit of your background. And we can start with you, Steve. Steve Andrews. I live in uh, outside of Worcester, Ohio. Uh, been in the auction business since 1971, so maybe it's about time to say goodbye. <laughs> uh, uh, grew up in rural area, Holmes County, Farmers Town, uh, Amish neighbors, and uh, kind of got uh, indoctrinated into into draft horses into in that setting. And then of course, uh, during the seventies, late sixties, seventies on into the eighties, the draft horse business caught fire and, uh, kind of the rest is history. Yep. Very well. Lyle. Yeah. My name is Lyle Chupp. I'm from, uh, from ship Indiana and, uh, been in the auction business for, uh, Oh, probably about 35 years. And, uh, Grew up in Shipshawana, Indiana, and, and uh, oh, I had a neighbor, Tommy Shop. Uh, he was a perching guy, of course, and uh, and uh, we put up hay together, and uh, and uh, with some of our other neighbors, and uh, me and my brothers, and of course, Tommy, he was a he was a big Pertron fan, and uh, and uh, from there, we, you know, Dad always took me to the Topeka Draft Horse Auction, and. Uh, and that's where it kind of lit my fire, I guess. I enjoyed listening to different auctioneers up there, and uh, I got fortunate and, and uh, got a ring job. And that from there on, it uh, just kind of grew from there, I guess. So, yeah, from Shipshawan, Indiana. Uh, Jaron Miller, also live in Shipshawana, Indiana. I grew up in uh, Holmes County, Ohio, over by Millersburg. Uh, First-generation auctioneer, my... Um, Grandpa had perching horses growing up. Um, my dad took me to my, even though I don't remember anything from that day, but uh, obviously caught the fever. But when I was three years old, he took me to the Eastern States draft horse sale in Columbus, Ohio. And I'm pretty sure Steve was probably one of the colonels back then. And uh, 
I just want to say also, it's exciting for me to sit here and do this podcast with these two guys, two auctioneers that are not only legends in the draft horse auction industry, but legends in the auction industry in general. Um, guys I've looked up to growing up. So this is pretty cool and exciting to me. But um, that's what we have to do to get you back on, Jaron. We have to get exciting <laughs> guests. That's the only time we can get you back on this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> but no, I'm I'm tickled to be on here. But like I said, uh, and I just went uh, going to auctions. A lot of a lot of kids had hobbies, playing baseball and stuff. And all I ever wanted to do was go to horse sales and just sit there and listen to the auctioneer. And um, so I I did that. And long story short, um, I kind of got started at a later age. Um, but I've been an auctioneer now for ten years. Um, made some great connections in the draft horse industry. Uh, while showing horses while I was doing that and uh, which has kind of led me I could sit here and I could probably write a book on the story that led me to where I am sitting here now but um, got hooked up with uh, yeah some great people in the auction industry and um, with a big dream little work and a lot of great people as as, uh, where I am today so we uh, we do mostly draft horse stuff on the podcast but just kind of go around the table. Do you guys auction uh, just draft horse events or is there more to your auction business? We, uh, we pretty well make our living anymore in the real estate at auction business. Uh, there, uh, you know, we do maybe four or five draft horse events a year, uh, but that wouldn't be near enough to make a living. And uh, so we do that and we do a lot of farm sales, that kind of thing. So we're pretty much a general type of auctioneering service. Uh, but the, uh, the draft horses have just been kind of a highlight when we go, you know, as I was growing up as a young guy in the farmer's town, I think there was one Belgian stallion in the county that I knew of. And that's at that time we had our, our local horse sales and the, the traders would bring horses from out of state uh, in there and the Amish would buy them. Uh, and how that's all changed around now, there's a stud on every corner and homes in Wayne County raise horses uh, just for the purpose of, uh, of sale and training and that kind of thing. So uh, now it's a, it's a mecca and a hot spot for uh, draft horse breeding. And that's how much it's changed from the fifties uh, and sixties up until the seventies and eighties, and then it just mushroomed from there. Yeah, for me, uh, um, and Chip Shawana there, uh, uh, I'm in business with my brother Dale, and we we kind of got a variety of auctions that we do, and. Uh, um, one of the areas that's really been taken off in the last five, seven years and getting and getting real strong for us is the antique end of it. Um, we uh, we're getting into we don't just take any antiques. We don't take uh, you know furniture or glassware things like that. But we do some specialty auctions, uh, signs and what we call salesman samples and uh, Petroliana and. Uh, country uh, country store primitives and farm primitives and things like that that's an area that's really grown for us and uh 
we've got quite a following on that, especially in salesman samples and signs. And uh, here a couple of weeks ago, we had we had a three day event. And we had you know salesman sample grain binder did uh, thirty seven thousand. We had a couple of signs do twenty thousand, and had another one do uh, thirty two thousand. It was a Springfield Buckeye grain drill sign. So that's one of the area that's really grown for us. And uh, besides antiques, we all do we do uh, you know quite a bit of real estate auctions and farm auctions and. Uh, uh, we even do some white-tailed deer auctions. So we kind of have a variety of auctions to, to go along with our horse auctions. We do a fair amount of horse auctions, of course. And, uh, and again, I, I agree with Steve. We couldn't just make it on horse auctions. And so um, and that's what I feel keeps our job interesting is, is the variety of different auctions that we get to do and the, the traveling we get to do uh, along with that. So, yeah, a little bit of a variety there for us here as far as chup auctions is concerned. How does a white-tailed deer auction go? White-tailed deer auctions, uh, we just uh, we did two of them in the winter, and, of course, we don't have any white-tailed deer auctions on site. We do everything on screen. Uh, in other words, it all has to do with breeding and the uh, and uh, what what the bucks score and as far as their antlers and things like that. And even semen, we we sell lots of uh, uh, whitetail uh, male deer semen and uh, pretty crazy prices. Sometimes prices have come down from what they were five years ago. And uh, as far as the whitetail deer are concerned, uh, probably the record price in, in our auction that we hosted as a chup auction, deer auction, we had a, oh, it was a male buck by the name of Max Bull Ranger that we sold for a quarter million of dollars, and that was 250000 that we sold him for. And that was right wow. at the peak of things. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, we sell pretty much everything on off uh, on screen with Internet bidding and and also a pretty, pretty good uh, amount of live bidders also uh for myself when i uh first became an auctioneer 10 years ago i started working for a company down in huntington indiana when i first moved here to huntington uh they were called uh, sheer mcculloch auctioneering and uh that's where i cut my teeth uh cleaning out houses and carrying grandma's glass wear out to the yard and lining it up and selling it and not making a lot of money but um that's where I started, and I feel I'm sure we've probably all been there. Every all of us auctioneers have been there at one time. But so fast forward, and I then I uh, got my foot in the door at some car auctions, and I uh, just became a contract auctioneer, and I was doing four car auctions a week, and got hooked up with a company over in Illinois selling selling farm equipment, and uh, then in um, August of 2018, um, Rick Welsh gave me a call, said he was looking for an auctioneer at Topeka Livestock Auction, and uh, that's kind of where my uh, my career kind of took a little bit of a turn uh, for the better for myself. Uh, started working for Rick and Andrea Welsh at Topeka Livestock Auction. I worked there about 90-some days a year that were actually selling something there uh, between cattle and uh, all their horse sales. I still do one car auction a week on Wednesdays over by South Bend, um, do a few other sales, craft auctions, um, some antique sales, uh, Willoughby auctions, do some show sheep and goats and show pigs, some sales like that. Um, also been fortunate enough to be uh, asked by Lyle here to help them a couple times at their antique sales there. So I stay pretty busy, but, uh, Topeka livestock auction is kind of my primary, uh, primary work right now. So very good. <clears throat> so let's take a trip down memory lane here, Steve. 
and I know you touched on it a little bit, but uh, if I remember right, I read somewhere you were a second or third generation auctioneer. Um, Actually, fourth. Fourth. Okay, my bad. And my, my son is is now the fifth. Yeah. So, yeah, my uh, great grandfather would have been Fred Andrews uh, was an auction, local auctioneer in the Regersville Sugar Creek in the New Philadelphia area, and his son Walter uh, became a nationally known auctioneer, sold uh, a lot of dairy cattle and horses uh, all over the country, but uh, died very young. He died at fifty-three. He had a, a ruptured ulcer and uh, uh, peritonitis set in. There wasn't any penicillin in 1940. And so he didn't uh, have a long career, but he had a, a highly touted career. Uh, sold for most of the major dairy cattle sale managers at that time, R. Austin Backus and the Merriman Company out of, Mar- out of uh, Maryland and just did the Chicago International, uh, lots of those sales. So that was Walter. Uh, Then his son, uh, John, who is my uncle, became an auctioneer. And he and and my dad were in business together on the weekly livestock market at Farmerstown. And uh, then uh, I came along and went to Ohio State, got Graduated there in 70 and went to Reppard Auction School that fall and uh, came back. And we had, of course, we had the weekly livestock market. So I got to start working right there on a weekly basis, selling hogs and that kind of thing. And next thing I started, I was working in the Creston Livestock Sales, started there in 72 and worked there until it closed there just a year or so ago. And I worked at the Kidron Auction. Uh, so I was doing three livestock barns a week for a long time, and uh, that's how that's how that all kind of got started. Yep, and you did a bunch of weekly auctions and and things like that, like leading up to what you're doing now. Yep, yeah, we did. Uh, and John, my uncle, took me along. You know, as I started, you had an apprenticeship to serve in. Uh, at that time, they've uh, just recently gotten rid of the apprentice uh, business in Ohio, so you don't have to serve an apprenticeship anymore. Uh, but at that time, you did, and he took me everywhere that he went for several years, and I helped him a lot. And, of course, he taught me taught me the business. So I was really fortunate to have uh, the kind of background that I had. It's not an easy business for a guy like Jaron and the first generation auctioneers to get in. Uh, it's, you know, do you need a, a good sponsor? You need some breaks and that kind of thing. I kind of came with a, with a built-in job and a, and a family history that helped me a lot. We would like to thank Ship Shawana Harness and Supply in Ship Shawana, Indiana, Mr. Bob Schrock. If you're looking for products for the show ring or at the farm from A to Z, anything you need, horse nutrition, tack, you name it, make sure you check them out, shipshawanaharness.com. Follow them on Facebook or visit their shop in beautiful Ship Shawana, Amish country, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. till 4 p.m., 
and Saturday, 8 a.m. till 12 noon. Call Mr. Bob Schrock, 260-768-7254 for all your draft horse needs. Yeah, just probably kind of like anything else, probably, in life. Yeah. So, Lyle, we're going to go down a trip down memory lane a bit. We grew up, what, quarter mile from each other? Right about a quarter mile, yep. Yeah. And bailed hay together, like you said. Bailed hay, you bet. Hung out with Tommy Schaup. They're the perching guy. But I remember one of your first big draft events, if I'm not wrong, was when Maple Grove Belgians at the first Gordyville sale. Is that right? You Kinda, talking? You you got it right. Talk yeah. talk a little bit about that. Well, you talking about uh, <laughs> butterflies going to an auction? <laughs> I had them that day. I tell you what. Uh, yeah, remember uh, John Klein and Steve Andrews were the uh, uh, the main auctioneers, and and I was kind of a guest auctioneer that day to help with the the Maple Grove dispersal. And uh, Howard Yoder was a. Uh, you know, not a close neighbor, but maybe three, four miles from us, and a good friend, and and uh, and I think he talked to Vernon and asked if you know if I'd be welcome to help with that, and and uh, Vernon let me come on board and uh, help with that dispersal, and that was quite an auction, and definitely a highlight for that time was Maple Grove, uh, uh, the dispersal for Howard, and uh, and I'm not sure Monroe's was still living at that time or not, but uh, yeah, that was one of the highlights early in my career, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that old neighbor Tommy was pretty proud of that deal. I remember that. <laughs> oh yeah. What yeah. year was that? Do you know? I Remind don't me? remember what year that was. I would guess that would be twenty six years ago, probably. Yep. It was the first sale, wasn't it? Was it the first auction? Actually, I, I think it was. I guess I don't remember if that was the first auction or not. Okay, that could have been. Did Gordyville start after Columbus was done? No. After Indianapolis was done. Okay. Columbus still went on for a little while. Actually, I think it would have had to been the first year because I haven't missed any of them yet. And that, yeah, that, that hadn't been the first year. Yeah. So that had been 28 years ago. Wow. He knows that because he has all his cups lined up. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you got her. Oh, oh yeah. That was a good old days. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I remember that. I remember when that happened. Yep. Yep. They had the auction block at the other end of the building. That's right. It was at the other end. You're exactly right. Oh, yeah. You bet. Hmm. You bet. That's before my time going there then, because I don't remember it being at the other end. Yeah, I don't remember that either. When we first started there, uh, the building was only half as big as it is now. Hmm. It was 240 by 300. Uh, and then they added another 300 feet back there where they drive. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hmm. So where did they, did they drive the horses in where the sail ring and stuff is? I don't think so. Maybe outside. Probably out. Which back then it wasn't near as much hitching as there is now probably. Um, but. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure when that, but, but I do remember being there for halflinger sales over the years when it was just the 300 foot. Maybe, maybe it was uh, full size by the time they started the draft sale. I'm not sure. So you guys, you guys all run a lot of auctions. What, uh, what can, and then you, you obviously these, the draft horse sales and the sales you go to, what kind of things do do you look for, like a sale committee and stuff like that, that makes the auction run run smooth? 
Jaron, fire it off. What helps the auction run smooth? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. Like what kind of things make the auction? Well, it takes a lot. I, the auctioneer chanting the auction as an auctioneer is actually a very small part of everything that goes into preparation for an auction, especially like, uh, just for instance, a draft horse sale. You know, you you got to take you got to take all your consignments. All those consignments have to be made into a catalog. The catalog needs to be proofread and okayed, and then they print the books. Okay, the barn has to be. You got to you got your barn crew. You got a whole separate crew, and on the restaurant and the food end of it, you got people checking in, uh, people in the office. Um, Am I wrong with like I'm I'm on the right track? There's so many different moving parts that it takes to put on, um, and then I we get the fun part. (laughs) We show up the day of the auction. We show up the the day of the sale, and we get to sit up there and be have the best seat in the house and do what we love to do. And I always feel like we kind of have the I don't want to say the easy job, but we we have the fun part of when all the action happens, but there's a lot of work, um, that goes into preparation. Um, a lot, a lot of behind the sale. scenes a promotion, of, a lot of promotion. I tell you what, uh, you know, if you get an exciting horse, I'm sure the committee will go out and check out some of the highlights before the auction. And, and, uh, some of the highlights get you know, posted on Facebook and get everybody fired up on a certain hitch horse. And I think there's a lot of promotion behind the scenes that people don't realize that needs to happen. You know, mm-hmm. a good committee, a good committee is extremely important. Um, cause there's a lot of, stay in touch with your consigners and make sure your consigners are happy and, and your consigners are getting what they want. And, you know, do you want to promote their horse as much as you can? And when they show up to the sale, you want to make sure they have their stalls are ready and they have everything they need. Um, and you want to, you want to, you know, want to supply the, as much as you can and, and give them, give them the best, the best, spot the best location the best facility as you can for them to uh, represent their horse to kind of build on that do you you guys watch the horses drive yourselves or do you have somebody scout watching to kind of know which ones are the ones that are kind of highlights which ones to watch for or do you just kind of get a feel for when everybody storms up to the ring when the horse comes in you think "Uh oh this is the one I watch some of the horses drive, not near all of them. I, uh, one of my favorite things is to do is is walk the barn and walk the box dolls. And I tell you what, just listen. All you got to do is listen, and all of a sudden you'll hear a hype on a certain horse. And you know what? I take my catalog and I circle that number, circle that hip tag number. That's that's a you know that's good information. And uh, if you want, you know, just walk the box dolls and listen and talk and. Uh, you'll find you'll soon find out what the highlights are uh before the auction gets started you know yeah uh yeah word of mouth you know just like anything else the 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 buzz around the barn you know we hear that too i try to watch um as much as i can but you know a lot of times we're selling while some of them are driving or you know they're yeah i I try to watch as much as i can but um also the consigners they they make sure they come and they make sure they come and talk to us. They're not, they're not afraid. They're all good, you know. <laughs> you get a you get a you get a couple of ears earfuls in the morning, you know. But that's that's okay. Steve, what's your thoughts on though on that? 
Or Flyer doesn't have a chance. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice if you have a day to do that. And every now and then I have gotten out to uh, the sales the day before and had had the fun of watching them hitch and drive. But most of the time, not. Uh, And again, like uh, Lyle and Jaron said, you, you pick up on on what they're all talking about and uh, seeing there. But we all, most of the time, I'd say for all three of us, the time that we see the horse is the time that he hits the ring. Mm-hmm. And uh, you go from there. But uh, the driving part is a, is a huge thing. Uh, can really kind of make or break a horse. If, uh, if he's having, having a, having a bad day, the day they drive him and the, the right people say the wrong thing. You can really kill a pretty good horse. That's happened more than once. But I, I see a lot of the uh, the fitters or the sale prep guys now, like Spring Hill and and Robert Hirschberg and those guys. They have a they have a driving day at home, maybe a couple of three weeks ahead of the sale, where they invite everybody in and and. Uh, so it gives them another shot at uh, or an, an early preview of, of what to expect. I think that's a pretty good idea. It doesn't all come down to 10 minutes at the sale. Steve, was it as crucial back in the day, let's say like back in the Columbus horse sale days, like I feel like now like Mark and Kyle and like it's very, the horse has to drive like the day, day before a sale, he has to put on a good show. Mm-hmm. Was that as crucial back then as it is now? I don't think so. I don't think so. And there was, yeah, those hitches were good, but they weren't nearly as animated as they are today. I don't think there was, the horses didn't have as much movement uh, in the 70s as they do in the, you know, 50 years later. They've just, they've bred for all that action and it's there. Mm-hmm. Sure, seems like the sale fitters too have have changed the game a lot. Used to be, a lot of guys bought horses in the rough and stuff, and nowadays, you know, most horses go through auction. Right, and yeah. most of them show up really fit. Yeah, you used yeah, to sure. you used to see, um, like say Mount Hope somebody'd buy a horse out of Mount Hope, take it home and clip it and bring it to Topeka the next week or vice versa, however that was, or buy one in Topeka, take it to Dover and, you know, maybe clip it and drive it a little bit and clean it up and make 2,500, sometimes 5,000 bucks on them. And uh, that's very hard to do nowadays because everything's prepped better and fit better and presented better. And uh, fitters have a lot to do with that, obviously. I think Topeka is a prime example of that, that Thursday horse that used to be, a Friday horse. Yeah. You know, that, that just doesn't <laughs> happen anymore because they can't, they just can't sneak them out of there. Like they used to. Yeah. You know, used I mean, to, there's a few that still do, but just not as much like, yeah. Jake Fry's boys. Well, you know, Delbert Fry, they used to buy them out of there with Carson's on a Thursday, take them out to Jake's and clip them and put a different hauler on them and maybe shoe them and tie the tail and bring them back on Friday and double their money on them. <laughs> <laughs> you don't see that happen very often anymore. <laughs> 
Every now and then the same guy would buy him back. <laughs> it always gave me a challenge if they'd come up, if one of the fry boys would come up and say, now, Lyle, hey, I, this thing costs 1500 on Thursday. See what you can do. Boy, that gave me a challenge. I, you, know, you might have just poured a little bit more gas on it right then, you know. Uh, shoot. Hey, speaking of that, here's a question for you. Is it easier to sell not just a horse but a product in general if you know what the seller, if the seller comes up and say, hey, you know, I need such and such amount, is it easier or does that make it harder? That makes it easier if uh, if you know your seller. I mean, sometimes the sellers get carried away and uh, and you're, they're thinking $10,000 and all of a sudden you think you're a failure at 5000 or 5500 and they say sell, you know, you, you soon get to know your sellers, you know. And, uh, but yeah, if we have a general idea of what they're thinking, you bet that does help. Give us a little idea. You bet. Mm-hmm. Kind of gives you, yeah. Go a lot ahead. of them don't, uh, you know, they won't really give you a number. I brought you some, most of them will just say, do the best you can. Uh, but like Lyle said, if you got a, got a seller that is straight with you, uh, it's pretty easy to work. But if you have a, a seller that you're really not sure of what he's telling you, uh, it's harder to work because you just don't know where you're at with him. Yeah, and there's probably some in the back of your minds that you just know they're they notorious for no sale, no sailing, and yep. and you just know that they're probably going to no sail the horse. But how long can you beg? Am I am I wrong? You know, you're going to work and work and work, and at the end of it, he's going to say no sale. <laughs> there's just a couple of them that do. But I feel like in this market, though, the way this market's been, it's um, you know, I'm sure Lyle and Steve, you guys have been in the days where it's hard to sell horses i mean now i mean it's the market's good and you just don't see a whole lot of no sales either really you know you get a few but not carry mm-hmm. just regardless if training competition commercial or just fun around the farm twisted luck carry just has what you need being the exclusive agent for Koi Altex carriages in North America with Twisted Luck carriages, the sky is the limit. A completely customizable shop, Twisted Luck carriages can customize your carriage to fit your every need and desire. With 300 plus colors available and many options, including coolers under the rear seat, cup holders with console, and built-in Bluetooth radios, Twisted Luck carriages can surely customize your p- perfect Koi Altex carriage also available new and used in stock carriage inventory in the u.s and canada as well as parts including tires tubes brake parts etc call rex man at 405-326-5623 or visit their website twistedluck.com for all your carriage needs once again rex man 405-326-5623 twisted luck carriages No, pretty easy sell in the last few years, I would say. Mm-hmm. So, would you rather have? Do some... you guys go ahead, Kyle? Go ahead, Mark. Nope, go ahead. Do you guys feel that, like when you're auctioneering, the atmosphere around the sale barn? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You can you can soon feel um, feel the market. Absolutely. 
after, after the first couple head in the morning, you can kind of see, kind of get a good idea how your day is going to go. I feel like depending on the, what you're selling, it doesn't matter what you're selling horses or cars right. or whatever it is. You can kind of, you know, uh, going back a couple of three years ago when, uh, when, uh, Keith Tungan and, uh, Wilson, and I can't think of all the names who were buying these, uh, yearlings and two year olds. And, uh, they were bidding against each other and, and the prices were very good. I mean, it was easy selling. You just, if there was a no sale, you know, the guy was crazy, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, back then the market was really good and still good today. But, uh, back three years ago was really easy selling. I'd say. Yeah. You didn't have to give any speeches then, but the time you were done calling bids, all the money was there. Yeah. So if, if the atmosphere is not there, can can you somewhat create an atmosphere? I think you ha- I think you have to be in control of the sale. An auctioneer always has to have a certain amount of like control of the crowd and the sale. And I don't know if you can necessarily, I don't know, you guys probably have your veterans. I shouldn't even be the one talking. No, no. I uh, one of the things that I think Steve could uh uh would say the same thing. I just remember uh, I didn't work much with Merlin Woodruff, but back in the Merlin Woodruff days when him and Steve were really going at it, I mean, Merlin would stop on a dime if a horse wasn't bringing enough and or he didn't think it was bringing enough. He could stop on a dime and he could come up with the best best story or the best thing to bring out in a horse. Don't you think, Steve? Do you remember them days? Uh, he was a salesman. Uh, you know, <laughs> I said he could, he could stop six times or eight times or ten times on a horse, say something different every time. He said there, and then most of the time is uh, didn't always matter so much uh, what he said, but the timing he had to say it was a big part of it uh, in there. But there, uh, you know, the when the market's strong and really gone, uh, makes you look pretty good. When the when the market is tough, like it was in the eighties, uh, early eighties, mid eighties, in there when. Uh, when six thousand dollar blonde mares started bringing six hundred, uh, it was a it was a lot different ball game. But uh, even through the tough markets, a lot of times it wasn't that hard to sell because the seller's expectations were not where they are today. That's one thing I always had a great appreciation for is when you guys. St- your auctioneer, everything's rolling good. You just keep going. But if things get a little slow, it seems like all three of you guys, I've seen you do it. You just, you know, when to stop and, and talk about the horse or have your assistant or the, the other guy on the block, talk about the horse. What, what does that entail? Just when the bidding slows down or just kind of a feel thing, the energy of it, or. I think you kind of get a, I think the big thing too is, when to when to speed up the sale, when to maybe ask for a little more, when you know you kind of have to build a certain momentum. Um, but yeah, time uh, timing's everything. But you kind of get a you kind of get a if you if you think you're bitter and you can kind of read somebody even if you can't see them just the way they're bidding, you can just tell they're going to bid. You kind of have a gut feeling. That the guy that cuts you in half every time. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you just know, you just kind of got that don't. Yeah. Um, I just kind of, sometimes you got a feeling that I think there's just one more whack there, you know? Yeah. And when you yeah. see the seller squirming behind you a little bit and not quite satisfied, you know, just so that your consigner knows that you're given a hundred percent. Sometimes it might, it, it helps to stop and just, 
give it a little extra touch there, and especially if you see him not quite satisfied behind you. So after you sell the animal, that he knows that you give it your hundred percent. I, you know, I, I use that some. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Every time a horse kind of comes in the ring, he kind of spits a number back at me as to what I think maybe he should bring. And if I'm flying by that, you know, it's uh, you don't have to make as many speeches. But if you're, if I'm thinking. 10,000 and he's bringing four, then you probably need to get dig in. Either you're looking wrong or you need to say something uh, in there to, to get the thing back on track. And there's some days that everything you say makes money, and there's some days you might as well shut up and sell them. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always, I always got a kick out of You go to like a Topeka on the Thursday, they sell probably what, 400 head? Mm-hmm. And it, it takes most of the day. And then you go to the Clyde sale and they sell a hundred head and it takes most of the day. (laughs) (laughs) And that was a tough one to get started there. You know, they were used to selling about 10 an hour, uh, in the Oh, I remember those days in Springfield. And the first, first year I went to the Clyde sale, I think we sold 110 horses and I think it took the biggest part of 10 hours. Holy cow. And I was out of the box once. Uh, <laughs> I went to the bathroom while they gave away the filly. <laughs> one long day. Holy cow. I can imagine. But, uh, I think we got them up to 12 now. <laughs> he gained, two, gained two head on them. Uh, <laughs> We do kind of get them up maybe around 20 or 25, but they are, you know, the, the Clyde sale is kind of its own, own deal and we're not doing it anymore. But, uh, it's, uh, you know, a lot of those people, I think that was probably the only auction they, they went to within a year. And so mm-hmm. they we're not really excited about how fast they were bidding. And, and uh, that, that, that bunch relied on what everybody else told them. If it was a good one, why that was okay. But it, yeah, it was. It's quite different than the other horse sales in a lot yeah. of. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I Ship Shawana Bob always says that that it's not a horse sale; it's an event. It's uh, they take four days to sell a hundred head, where every other sale it's it's That's three days hours. to sell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'll, and going back to the what you guys were we we're talking about making you know stopping and making speeches. A good pedigree reader is they're worth their weight in gold. If you have a good pedigree reader, that makes the biggest difference, in my opinion. Amazing difference. And I feel like we have there. There's a lot of good ones around, but I feel like uh, Lonnie, the couple we have there, like the peak is just, I think, I think Lonnie's just one of the greatest pedigree readers of all. Yeah, like, if you need a little break, uh, you know, you know, a little breath, extra breath or so, all you got to do is put the hand over just a couple inches. Lonnie knows what you're thinking. He he needs to come up with something. He does. He does. He and does. Yep. People trust him what he says, and that it makes a big difference. I agree. A pedigree reader makes an auctioneer's job a lot easier. And uh, you know, Delmer Delmer does a great job as well. Um, but yeah, you know, I just work with Lonnie more, but. When Lonnie, when you, you can throw it to Lonnie at any time 
and and people listen, you know, some pedigree readers, people, you know, could tend to kind of maybe tune out a little bit or they keep repeating themselves. I think that's the worst thing that happens with them is sometimes they just keep saying the same over thing over and over. But um, man, I think like he's just one of those guys that people listen to what he has to say and he's just very good at coming up with things to say. But I but very, there, there's he's more very well, very well respected. Yes, he say. is. And then there's more than him that are out there that are good at what they do, but um a pedigree reader is is very crucial, a tool that we can as auctioneers use to our advantage um big time. Steve, I, I always looked up to you as far as if coming up with good remarks and bringing out the best in horses, you know, even even your wisecracks. Uh, I know there's a lot of people that love the entertainment, especially young Amish boys that just love to sit in the bleachers and listen to some of your wisecracks and, and, and tell them the bidders if they don't bid faster that the mayor's going to fold right in the ring or whatever, you know. <laughs> I, I think I, you're always real good at that. Yep. <laughs> The uh, wisecracks come a little easier after nine o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> With Davy Carson at your side. I mean, you got it. <laughs> hey, rem- talk about Topeka and Memory Lane. Uh, remember them days when Steve, nine o'clock at night, and Ray Wegman's Geldings would come through there on a Thursday night. Remember that, Lyle? Oh, my. That place was packed to the to the the old sail when we say pack that's like half of one of the bleachers we have now and (laughs) but that that was always quite a scene that was the highlight of my my sail days is having ray wegman they would bring him in fat and fit uh mains braided and they'd put on a show it was oh yeah and he'd sit out in this semi right on the north side of the barn and that's where you'd find him and usually nancy and kathy'd be sitting out there with him just get a little good reunion there and uh yeah, them in the good old days, little Orvie, and uh, even back going back a little further, Dave Carson was there, and I think Chuck. I can't think of Chuck's last name, but uh, well, that's gets getting back into some of the good old days. I mean, you get in the wee, hour, wee hours of the morning, uh, a couple of them times. I think one, two o'clock in the mornings, even selling horses, selling horses. Oh wow! Yep, absolutely. I went to Waverly one year. We sold till four in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But that only constituted one day's work for Bill Dean, so I didn't go back. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. And then you probably had to fly home with Leroy Yoder and his plane yet. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, I was actually, we were flying commercial and got to Chicago the next day on the way back, and the airplane blew up. (laughs) And the engine caught on fire, and they turned around, went back, and landed, and I got home. Saturday afternoon. And you decided to never go back to Waverly after that. <laughs> Steve, you used to be uh, sitting out there in the Wegman trailer, didn't you, for a little reunion time sometimes? Oh, always. That was, that was, that was the go-to place. You didn't have to go anywhere in Topeka except race trailer because everybody that was at the sale that you wanted to see passed through there one time or another. Mm-hmm. I mean, there used to be about a dozen tie stalls out behind the sail ring. That's usually where his horses were, wasn't it? Yep, yep. We had that. Uh, uh, Junior Junior Martin started that thing there with him, and, and it just carried on. That's where his he parked his trailer back there, and that's where his horses were right inside the door. And I could no Salem with the best of them. <laughs> about, about four foot of straw. I remember yeah. that. Yep. So we've talked about a lot of things 
how important is a good ring a ring crew to have? Like whether it's horse, antiques, cattle, cars. Steve, how how important is that? Uh, it's it's really important. Uh, and you know we have ring men, and you have uh, and they're they're all different. Uh, the horse sale thing is is more bid spotters, or what I would call bid spotters. Uh, that really do a good job of just finding, finding the people that are bidding in that, in that big crowd. Uh, you get into other, other deals and there's a lot of ringmen that carry bids, uh, for people and, and, uh, they, they can really, really facilitate a sale. I agree with you, Steve, as far as ringmen, very important. And uh, uh, in, in the antique business, uh, as far as the antique auction business and also the horse sales, you know, there's certain bidders that do, don't want to be recognized when they're bidding. And they like to bid to certain ringmen. And there, there's ringmen that are really good at that, that have been in the business. And uh, in my antique uh, uh, auction, I, the, I really appreciate my ringmen. Uh, you know, if I get a good salesman sample or a certain brand of a sign, uh, they, they'll kind of know which bidders to look for. They know which people bid on certain items and, and, uh, and, you know, and that's very helpful for me. There's a lot of trust built up between bidders and, and, uh, sales staff ring people, you know, they, they'll, they'll migrate to whatever position they have so they can work with them. Yeah. And there's certain ringmen that in the, draft horse deal that people they like like steve just said they're comfortable with and they like to go to and and uh, then you always have you know a few ringmen that um get acting like clowns out there and late in the <laughs> afternoon and people enjoy that you know it's kind of mm-hmm. um get the screaming and yelling and carrying on and it's like a competition between the ringmen but um most certainly uh important to have a good ring staff for sure yeah i gotta think when you think of ringmen you remember joe lennon steve i'm sure he'd always oh, whip yeah. that far ring down there at topeka and he said he'd get these uh uh, these women from Grable or Burn, they'd be in the first, second rows and be nursing their babies. And and, and uh, all he'd have to do was give a one yell, one loud yell, and the, the, the babies would look up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess you can. We can edit this if we need to. <laughs> uh, when Joe wasn't working the ring, they usually used him for a billboard. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man Get a little extra energy in the sale barn huh? <laughs> hey back in, I, I drag a few bids out won't they the ring man will they get a guy to just drag a few extra out a lot of the good ones will yeah they get uh they get on the right communication with him get to having fun with him and you know it's not like they always say that people spend a lot more money if they're laughing than they do if they're crying yeah. yeah, you won't cry until after the fact. <laughs> uh, uh, there are there are a lot of characters, and there and there will continue to be a lot of characters in the draft horse business. I remember Nelson's brother was it Eli Schrock? Yep, he used to drag bids out of people. He'd get jumping around, and Leroy Oder was good at it. What's the old guy that used to be at Columbus and Dover that kind of hunched over a little bit? Uh, 
Marvin Ford. There, Marvin there, Ford. Yeah. There you go. With the yeah. Oh my goodness. He had a crippled leg. Yeah, he yeah. was he was pretty good. He kind of got into it too, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Marvin was a good ring man. Mm-hmm. He and I and Leroy Yoder were all in auction school together. <laughs> oh, Is nice. that right? Yeah, in November of 1970. Hmm. And Marvin he it- worked down there on the right side of the block at Columbus, and Leroy would lurk work on the left side. And- Ken Bonnington would work at the end gate. Mm-hmm. I would like to go back in them days, go walk into Cooper Arena one more time, <laughs> listen to Steve and Merlin back in the back in those days. Oh my goodness! I've got all the tapes. I'll bring you some. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, uh, how many head of horses did you guys sell back then? In in like the. Uh, the peak, I'd say seven fifty or eight hundred in two days. Would be about it. And what about down at like Columbus? Yeah, I mean at Columbus. That oh, the, at Columbus. Columbus. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, the yeah. P- okay, gotcha. Yeah. And eight hundred head in two days, and there was just two of you auctioneers, wasn't it? For the most part, yeah. Yeah, that was quite the grind. At <laughs> one time, well, Merlin used to sell them all, and then Jeez. they got my uncle then. At uh, one time, they'd gotten bigger, and, and uh, so my uncle went down and sold the geldings and, uh, in the evening. And then oh, there was a stretch of time there when Merlin had a lot of throat trouble, and uh, he would tough it out for all day, but that's when I got a, a start in there during that time. And then he, they finally found out what was the matter with him, and he got better. Um, but that's kind of where I started. And then the sale just kept getting bigger. And, and so we ended up, uh, a lot of times there was three of us, a couple other times, I think they had Bill Dean and, and John Fence to make her sell a few for a year. But then we went back and it was basically Merwin and I sold them all. And my uncle had retired. He just, the, uh, from the horse sale thing, he was really, uh, allergic to the smoke and the dust uh, in that Cooper arena. And he said, I, I think I'm just going to quit. He said, every time I come home from bed, it takes me three weeks to get to feel better. So, But do you guys have to, your voice obviously is super important. Do you do stuff to protect your voice? Not really. Not like, I mean, I smoked for 55 years, so... <laughs> <laughs> that uh that did the trick. <laughs> uh but uh if you don't have if you don't end up with a lot of sinus drainage uh, and stuff like that, it, it a lot of times you're pretty good. And uh I used seemed at one time I used to suck on some lozenges and I don't seem to have that anymore either. Uh Merlin used to keep a little chew in, and it would just kind of keep things lubricated. I was never big enough or old enough to chew inside. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, earlier on, like, when you're just starting out, like, your voice, you really, your voice hurts, your throat hurts, and you get, get busy, and... But I, I think it's like a it's like a muscle. The more you use it, the exactly you know. Better, but the better it gets. Um, 
Yeah, sometimes after a long week, I feel better than if I do if I only have two sales that week, you know. Exactly. Yeah, uh, it's kind of hard to figure out. There'd be days at Topeka, especially, you know, you'd go to midnight or in the morning and you were just gassed when it was over and you'd think, what are we going to be like tomorrow? And you'd get back in there and it was easier than the than the first day. Yeah, I could agree with you on that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I think, the, I think the adrenaline has something to do with it too. Like if you know, like you might not be feeling the best, but you get up there and you start going and it kind of, your adrenaline kind of overrides what you're feeling. And then after you get off the block, it kind of hits you again that, ooh, like you bet. I don't really, you know, and then you go back up there and it kind of overrides it again and you do your job and, so what's um, what's the difference between a draft horse sale and other livestock sales? Well, draft horse sales are marathons. You know, if you if you go to thinking about mostly other like dairy cattle consignment sales, if, if you know if you were thinking about having a a, a four hundred head dairy sale, they think you were nuts. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, most of the sales, of the breed breed promotional sales are, you know, 75 to 100 head and uh, a few hours. And you'd say, you tell people, you go to the draft door sale and we start at 8 o'clock in the morning and we're still selling at midnight. They'll say, well, who's there? They'll stay there all day. Like you just got think, done with a sheep sale, didn't you, Jaron? Yeah, um, I think every every auction is just has just such a different pace. Um, like you can sell like this afternoon, I sold you know I can sell 180 butcher cows in a little over an hour. I mean that's clicking along, but it's just it's a whole different pace and a different. I feel like when you sell draft horses, you really push. Like you really. I feel like you really push and work um, some sales, What depending on what you're selling, you can just kind of sit back. And for my chant, you know, I can sit back. You can just kind of sell cows and you just put it out the door. Um, horses, you're more like you're pushing more. Am I wrong with it? Yeah, you're exactly right. It's a big difference if you're selling Tupperware to ladies. You know, your chant changes. Uh, if you're selling Tupperware to ladies on a Saturday auction versus – draft horses at, at Topeka or Gordyville, wherever you're mm-hmm. at. Uh, I almost have a little bit of a different chant when I mm-hmm. sell draft horses. I feel like my chant changes a lot too. Um, you know, I have kind of a different chant if I sit in there and I'm selling fat cattle to four or five buyers in there and you can just kind of whip through them. And, but if you'd say, you know, and then we had that, had that sheep show sheep sale last weekend, Lafayette, we sold 670 head, two of us and in, in a day Well, we sold a couple the night before, but uh, but that's more kind of like the cattle pace or cattle chant. I feel like uh, the sheep would be more yeah. similar to dairy than what. Horses. Yeah, and then then when you sell horses, you just you know somebody would say that you know I can sell you know three hundred fifty springers in a day, but if somebody'd say hey we got three hundred fifty horses, you're gonna do it by yourself? It'd be like uh, I don't think so. <laughs> like <laughs> the sale barn setting and most of the time you're dealing with a half a dozen or so professional buyers mm-hmm. uh, in the draft horse ring. You're dealing with uh, just everybody in the, in the draft horse world. It's 
maybe going to buy a horse, maybe not going to buy a horse. You know, all kinds of, there's, it's just a different deal. Penwood's Equine Products is a family-owned and operated business that strives to support the growth, performance, and longevity of your equine family with our premium nutrition supplements. We make all of our products with locally sourced ingredients right here in the USA, so you can always be sure you're getting the highest quality. We've always been horse people. Our products were developed to take care of our own horses, and we continue to back our supplements with real-world horse owner experience. We're proud of the results, and we love sharing our generations of equine knowledge to help meet all of your horse's needs. We want to get to know you and your horses, and we're here to help with any questions you have. So reach out to us. You're part of the Penwoods family. You can visit us at penwoods.com, email us at info at penwoods.com, or follow us on social media. Do you guys have a bigger appreciation? Like when a, when a bidder, if, if you're asking, they give you what you're asking for, or you kind of get sick of the guy that's beating you up on having your bids all the time or if somebody hits it hard at the end do you have a reaction like all right let's just we're just gonna hammer his horse down to this guy because he's he's for serious about it and um probably not gonna just do that (laughs) (laughs) where the next guy is but the guy that wants to uh, cut you in half when you're about (laughs) halfway there you know, we do, we tend to kind of run over him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might be in three or four hundred more than what he really thinks. I feel like you note, definitely... note to self, Kyle. Don't yeah. cut them in half until they yeah. get up there. <laughs> I feel like you kind of respect a, a good bidder more than somebody that pops right back and and they're bidding like to know what they're doing instead of trying to nickel and dime you and you're still way off and they know it and we know it. And I think it's important as an auctioneer, you know, if you think a gilling's worth 25,000, uh, you know, go down and get money at four or 5,000 and let, let three, four ringmen yell all at the same time. It just creates an excitement and you can get up there to that 20 grand pretty quick. If, if you have a bunch of guys yelling and it. it just creates a excitement. There's more bids on the horse and, um, uh, that's one of my th- favorite things to do, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that old saying is you jump a little higher fence if you take a little longer run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't jump it flat footed, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Back in the day, Arnold Hexham used to come to uh, Columbus and work the ring. And uh, he was, he was a good ring man. Not that he was animated or lively or anything, but he knew what horses were worth and he'd always work right by the block. And, uh, you know, if, if he had a Belgian filly that was going to bring $3,000 and you'd ask two, he would just grab it right there. You know, he, he, he just always had money. Um, and if nobody bid, he'd just sign a ticket and take it, take it home. Uh, which was a big help to a young auctioneer. Mm-hmm. That time, but he would, he would give you solid, solid footing uh from the ring mm-hmm. yeah i imagine that would be a, be a good help 
What's one of the craziest things that happen to, you know, sitting behind the block, whether it be, you know, draft horses or any any auction you've done? Uh, don't take me long. I tell you what, I remember <laughs> one day I was sitting up at the block in Gordyville selling, and uh, that's back when Steve Jones was still doing the pedigrees. And, uh, oh, I, uh, I think it was Glenn, Chris Jess brought in a filly. I'm not sure if she was a yearling or two-year-old, but a uh, good filly, and, uh Boy, she took off, and Steve was taking bids. Steve Jones was taking bids there beside me, and uh, there'd be a ringman down at the other end yelling, and and Steve Jones wouldn't hesitate. He'd have another bid, and oh, I think he's up at around twenty five, twenty seven thousand dollars, and uh, and Steve's bidder was a final bidder, Steve Jones, and then and he looked over and. Uh, and I don't know, I don't remember if they were getting a buyer number or if they had to sign a ticket, looked over and pointed to his buyer and or his bidder. And and all of a sudden, I seen we had problems. So uh, I won't mention any names, but we had a bidder in the crowd, and he, and, and he told uh, Steve Jones as long as his hat was on, he was bidding. Well, he forgot about this, and his hat stayed on, and it was way <laughs> over his limit. Again, I won't mention any names, but uh, we was in over our head, and I seen Steve Jones. He jumped off the block, and he ran over to the bidder, and uh, everything was just quiet for a little bit. And, and yeah, there was just a mistake. His bidder forgot to take his hat off, and as long as his hat was on, he was bidding, and he, he didn't want the horse. It was way more than mm-hmm. – and, and so um, – Bill Crouch, Bill Crouch, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was the backup bidder, and I I have all the respect for him. He took it at his last bid, and he wouldn't have had to, but he did, and that, uh-huh. and I have all the respect for Bill uh, for doing that, and he really bailed us out that day. So hats off to him, and th- that was probably one of the most. What do moments, we do now? What do we do now? And uh, it was me and Steve there. We didn't know quite how to handle it, and then, but yeah, it worked out. It did work out. Mm-hmm. Steve, you must have a few. Yeah, the the very first horse that I had to bid on in Columbus, the guy backed out on me. I was a ring man. <laughs> very first horse I had to bid on him. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> and you up. didn't sign the ticket? Break you in real quick. $750 for a Belgian or a Perchin stud colt. Belgian stud colt, I think. But I had, I was lucky enough, I had both bidders. And... One of them was old E.A. Pappy Weaver from Holmesville. I walked over to him. I said, this guy that bid on him back and out, I said, do you want the colt? And he said, I'll take him for what I bid, which was 700 So that's <laughs> what, what we did. Before the other guy, and I told him, and I said, if you want to buy a horse today, I said, you better go to the other side of the arena because I'm not going to see you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he left. He left. <laughs> Yeah, but that was yeah, very first time I had a bid on a horse at the Columbus horse sale. That's what happened. <laughs> All the fun stuff was at the, you know, Topeka was always a great venue and always had a didn't matter if you had a twenty thousand dollar one or a or a two hundred dollar one, there was somebody there to buy them. You know, they had that kind of a crowd. And a lot of you guys will remember old Grady Whitlock from West Virginia. Oh yeah. You know, and people would pack in there on the, he usually had the night shift in there, but uh, he put on a show that was just 
pure entertainment, you know, and he'd say, hey, auctioneer, hey, auctioneer, ask him 10000 you know, and the horse is probably worth 2500 <laughs> <laughs> Hey, auctioneer, ask him $10,000. I said, we can't do that. <laughs> but he would put on a show. Then he had a, had a, had a guy riding these horses in there one night, and uh, he was spinning him around in the middle of the ring, and a, a revolver fell right out of his pocket on the floor of the ring. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of walked over and picked it up like nothing happened. But I thought no, nothing would have gone off. It could have been pretty ugly. <laughs> oh man! Remember Rufus Martin when he used to bring horses? He would walk underneath. He was very the, animated. Too. Yeah. Well, he used to work the ring some, didn't Rufus yeah. Martin? Yeah. Yeah, we did a lot of the halflinger sales and some other sales. Yeah. The thing like how when somebody says, oh, I didn't bid or when something like that happens as an auctioneer, you got about a split second there where you have to make up your mind what you're going to do next. What's what's your next step? Yeah. yeah. You know, because you got to fix the problem somehow right there and, you know, um, or that can be a little challenging sometimes. So, uh, do you oftentimes like say, so someone says they were swatting at a fly and, you know, or, or wasn't bidding or, and then do you usually go try to go to the backup bidder or how do you open it? How do, how do you usually go about that? That's a pretty easy fix. Cause you say, Oh, he, you know, that was just a balk or whatever. You just go back one bid and you had backup bidder. But like one time we are selling geldings at Topeka and, um, the guy bid, I don't know, it was like $7,500 or something and sold it to him. And the guy told, uh, Louie, the ringman that he doesn't want the horse. He was, that's, it was too much. He didn't think he was bidding that much. And then we go to the backup bidder and backup bidder walked away. He was gone. Horse was halfway to the barn already. And you know, that's when you get in a predicament, <laughs> in a real predicament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's really hard to create the same circumstances, you know, to redo it and have the same people there, you know, to, if the horse comes back three or four horses later, uh, it, it can be a, a challenge to get things put back right. That always drives me nuts at Topeka. They'll be a team, big, strong team. They drive them in there. The first horse will sell for 50, they'll sell by choice, 5,500. The guy will say, I just want the left-hand horse. So they resell the right-hand horse and he buys him too for 6,500. And it's like, oh, you stupid ass. I wasted 15 minutes of all of our time. We love that though. We love that. And I tell you what, you don't want to, I, I'm usually pretty nice if that does happen. I don't, I don't, uh, it's always a goal to make that second horse bring more. And I, I try to yeah, you know, do it professionally, but uh, boy, my brother Dale, he'll he'll ride somebody, he'll rub it in. There's <laughs> nothing that he likes better oh, than that. I mean, he'll pretty like much it. stop the sale and hold church there for a while when that happens. He just loves it. <laughs> <laughs> just should have said times two. <laughs> yeah. What's one of the highlights? You guys, uh, over the years, you can go past or present, whatever. One of the highlight highlight horses you've sold. 
doesn't have to be the most expensive, just the highlight. Yeah. You know, when we sold uh, Leakley's Perch and Hitch in Columbus, uh, that was a that was a pretty exciting deal. I think what that lead horse bring like thirty six thousand or something at the time, and that was a that was a long time ago. Uh, Maybe it wasn't that much. Maybe it was half of that. I don't remember. No, I think no, it, it was, was it was something like that. Because I know my dad came home from the sale, and I remember he says, "I'll never see anything like that again." Mm-hmm. That was like the first. That's kind of where the first high dollar horse. I just I don't remember. There were twenties in the twenties and the thirties, pretty much all through the mm-hmm. six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was quite a group of horses. Yeah, Leakley was a good horseman. Uh, he didn't look like he knew anything. <laughs> but he knew a lot uh, as far as picking them out. We did two dispersals for him, Dave Carson and I, and uh, he was pretty laid back. And was a corporate attorney in Detroit is what he did for a living. Uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of times, if you were selling perch and horses, well, at his first sale, he took a few consignments. And uh, there was a really good mare in there. And, you know, when you looked out the other end of the deal, John was trying to buy her. <laughs> he, had, he had a good eye. He had a good eye for a horse. Yeah, I don't know if I've had, a, you know, I've had a, high, a lot of highlights through my career. And, uh, and one of my, I guess one of the highlights that just happened here in the last year, I wasn't even on the block, but I was there and it was with my my brother Dwayne's Clyde Stallion sold at Topeka. I think we're a hundred thousand, and yeah, that was a, that was a highlight. I, I I wasn't the auctioneer at the time, but I was there and then was concerned, you know, for Dwayne and his herd. And uh, that was a that was a good evening for us there at Topeka. I, I, that was a good moment. Mm-hmm. Clyde's have kind of taken over the Topeka sale, burn. Yeah, um, yeah, we've had very fortunate with well Dwayne. Yeah, Dwayne had his dispersal there, and then once again, you know, John Newell and Carson and Lonnie, you know, Dwayne, they've just been great supporters and pushing that Clyde deal there at Topeka, and once again, just brought a strong set of horses and sold one for 70 and a mare for 50, so another great sale. I don't know if I've, you know, any highlights for myself. I think one of the highlights was, it was one of my first, very first auctions at Topeka, and Rick and Andrea was were still kind of getting the ball rolling there and, and pushing what I call the new era Topeka, I guess I should say would be, uh, would be fair to say, um, that Gemini mare, you know, she sold for 50, forget now I should remember that, but it was well, like, it was like 55,000 50, or, or 55,000. Yeah. And then that was kind of the first high dollar horse that got sold there. And then, and it's just been taken off from there, um, for Rick and Andrew ever since. But, um, for myself, me, that was kind of my first big deal there at Topeka and, and for Rick and Andrew. And it was a local mayor and it was just good for, good for everybody that day. So. Mm-hmm. Very well. Um, any words of wisdom to any young auctioneers that want to come in, whether it be selling horses or doing anything? Trying to think, I can't think of anything right now. It's, it's, it's definitely, I think it, the competition is out there today. Uh, when, when I started, the, the, there wasn't near the competition in our area that, 
that there is today now. So, but uh, words of wisdom is, yeah, just keep your head on straight and give it all you got. Follow your dreams. I tell you what, anything's possible out there. Just uh, follow your dreams. And, uh, and uh, I, I've got to tell you, Steve was my hero growing up. I, I Topeka and uh, Columbus, wherever we went as a young boy, that he was my hero. And, and there's probably no other uh, auctioneer that has as many uh, young people trying to follow a chant that uh, that that Steve has, and hats off to him. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great young ones coming. I think uh, the biggest difference I see uh, today is there's there's a lot of really good bid callers. Uh, there's maybe not so many that are that know their product and are are really good salesmen. Along, that's where I always thought Woodruff outshined a lot of them, and fence maker and cows, and and uh, just different people that were exceptional in their in their specialty. Uh, they were, besides being wonderful bid callers, they were they were uh, just exceptional salesmen, uh, and being able to bring out the highlights in the animal or just in different situations, you know, I'd always tell Merlin, I said, you don't know how to tell the truth, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we were talking about in today, I had lunch today with Wayne Slyker and and, uh, Brian Garrison, we're getting ready to do a brown Swiss sale here at Worcester and they were talking about it and he said, yeah, and the Ohio farmer back in the day, you know, they'd have a, a cow sale ad in there, and they use a true type Holstein cow usually on those ads. And Merlin would be selling the sale and said, That's the one that was pictured in the Ohio Farmer. This <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I guess, uh, young auctioneers, like, don't be, if, if you want to be an auction, don't be afraid to put in the work. Um, I see, I see a lot of young auctioneers that are, they want to be an auctioneer, but all they want to do is just they want all they want to do is just sell. Um, they don't want to put in the work that it takes to get there, get up on the block. Um, but there are a couple good ones out there, young guys that are working hard and, and going to be great and big in this industry. But I also want to say, like I've been very, I've from a kid growing up, I've always wanted to be an auctioneer. And Steve Andrews is, while I have him on here, I do want to say this, though, that if I if it wouldn't be for Steve, like you said, Lyle, I probably wouldn't be an auctioneer. I probably wouldn't be sitting right here. Um, always, I, I apprenticed under Steve without him even knowing or even knowing. <laughs> um, I'd go to horse sales, Dover, Mount Hope, Columbus, you know, wherever growing up as a kid. And I'd literally sit in there and just sit there and watch Steve. I carried a little tape recorder in my pocket with the little tapes and I'd just sit in there and I'd record and then I'd go home and listen to him over and over and over again. And, um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate with the people that I've got hooked up with and the people that I've given, that have given me jobs and believed in me. Um, that's the biggest thing, but, uh, yeah, so I just, I don't know, I, I uh, just wanted to, yeah, it's just awesome to sit here with these two guys, and, and Lyle's a legend in himself, and just always listen to enjoy. I just didn't get to listen to him as much until I started, got a little older, and started going to Gordyville, and come out here in India more to, when I started listening to, to Lyle, but uh, 
Yeah. So I uh, just, it's, it's cool. Just being, like anything else. Just, just cool. Do the grind. Being, it's cool being you know? on here with these guys and, and, uh, not a lot different than when I started. You know, we all carried tape recorders. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, what are those? Record the, <laughs> the the people that you like the best. Yep. Yeah, now you can't find anything to play the tapes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when you get uh, when you go when you get older and go down the road and you get to start doing what you love and you get to work with the legends that you looked up to, that's that's what's awesome. So. We're going to try to get uh, some of those old Columbus tapes uh, put on digital uh, if we can. And uh, so that'll be kind of fun. That'd be yeah. really good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. some of that back. Yes, sir. Well, a couple of legends and, and one in the making. We appreciate you guys getting on the Classic Series Redrive podcast. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on. It's great. No problem. Pleasure. Well, lots of my hats off to all you guys that are in the draft force business and uh, and making the markets and driving the sixes and uh, putting on the shows. Uh, without you guys, we don't have much uh, going on. Uh, so we certainly appreciate all the all the guys that uh, spend the time and spend the money and make the effort to to make the business what it is. Well said. Yep. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, guys, for coming on. All right. Good night. All right. Thanks, right, thanks Steve. Good night. You bet. Yep. The best little fair in Canada returns for the 160th year. That's right. The Carp Agricultural Society is happy to announce it's hosting their 160th edition of the Carp Fair from September 21st through the 24th. As your fall show season wraps up, the Carp Fair offers something for every draft horse exhibitor, large or small. With over 50,000 in premiums across the weekend shows, Carp Fair offers competitive hauler classes, North American Classic Cart classes, two North American six-horse hitch point shows, as well as the up-and-coming Ontario four-horse hitch series. With previous exhibitors from all over Ontario, Quebec, and the Maritimes provinces, as well as the eastern U.S., Carp Fair would be happy to see you in our barns for the 160th year. Carp Fair Draft Horse Committee would love to hear from you if you have any questions in regards to showing at the Carp Fair. Please reach out to them at info at carpfair.ca or google carpfair.ca. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you drop by a Reinhold Tack and Western Wear mailbag, podcast at naclassicseries.com. Once again, podcast at naclassicseries.com. Any questions or feedback you might have, we would love to hear from you. I hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great week, and we'll see you down the road.